Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host. And on this podcast, we talk about five main topics, marriage, money, mindset, health, and faith with an ultimate goal of generational change. So we're going to continue to chat about marriage and money today. Last week was actually week two of a three-part series. And as I've said a million and 19 times, finances touch absolutely everything. They touch our marriage, our relationships, our experiences as a family. And because it touches everything and is interconnected with just about every single thing that we do, it becomes a really common thing that people argue about, right? And financial issues are actually one of the leading causes of divorce. And so for this series, I actually got really curious about exactly what that meant. Like what exactly are the reasons couples are arguing about money? And I actually found on Business Insider the top 12 main reasons that couples argue about money. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to dive in and talk about each one of these reasons and then talk through some ways to kind of help navigate these issues. If you see this showing up in your marriage or, you know, maybe even talk about different ways it could be manifesting in your marriage. And so last week I went through the second of the four arguments and this week we are going to go through arguments nine through 12. But before we hop in, I actually want to tell you guys about a workshop that I am hosting tomorrow night. So you are only going to be able to take advantage of this if you are listening live on March 8th, 2021. But tomorrow night, March 9th, 2021, I am going to be hosting a budget workshop. And if you don't know, I am a budget coach and I typically work with families for 90 straight days. I create a 90 day budget for them. And then we work, I mean, paycheck to paycheck through those entire 90 days to create a budget that really works for the season of life that they're in. And the results are absolutely amazing. And so tomorrow, since I can't do that with everybody and work one-on-one, tomorrow I'm hosting a workshop and I'm going to teach you how to systematically take your numbers. There's a little bit of pre-work um, ahead of time, okay, where you just kind of got to get your numbers uh, in order and actually send you my budget template that I use with my exact clients um, to fill this out before we get together on Tuesday. But I'm going to teach you how to systematically take your numbers and then work paycheck through paycheck to paycheck so that you can really start planning for your future. And so you are going to leave with a working budget on Tuesday night. I am hoping for at least 60 days if not 90, you will be able to walk away with on Tuesday. You guys, this is an active workshop. This is not a passive class where I am just teaching things, though I will be teaching. Um, it'll be more of an active thing, though, where you are going to leave with product in hand, okay? And then afterwards, because it's only, like I said, 60 to 90 minutes, you are going to gain access to my student-only Facebook group just for ongoing support in case you have questions or have like a weird situation, um, I will be in there also. So I can always answer questions for you. But um, today, Monday, March 8th is actually the last day to sign up. Like I said, there's a little bit of pre-work for you to do beforehand. Um, I lay it out very simply. I give you a template to fill out. And I also provide a video telling you exactly how to fill it out. You, I just don't know your numbers. You got to know your numbers and you got to bring that Tuesday. So go to simsarrows.com slash budget workshop to sign up. It's simsarrows.com slash budget workshop to grab your seat. Limited spots are available. Okay. So let's jump into this episode. So let's remember first the eight arguments that we've already talked about the last two weeks. Number one, opposing attitudes towards money. Number two, mismatched financial priorities. Number three, credit card debt. Four, financial infidelity. Number five, overextending your budget. 
Number six, an ability to compromise on spending. Number seven, unexpected major expenses. And number eight, stress from combining bank accounts. And then today we're going to talk about the next common arguments about money in marriage. And those are major impulse buys, spending too much on a wedding, not having premarital financial counseling, and then a loss of financial control, kind of that like yours versus my mentality of your money that's coming in. So let's jump in. Number nine, that argument says major impulse buys are going to cause an issue. Okay, so it may show up, you guys, in movies or a car commercial where one spouse buys like a dream car (laughs) for the other person. And that seems like a really amazing thing. But in reality, y'all don't do that. (laughs) I mean, unless you are like really, 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 really on the same page with finances. And I don't know, you have been given like the green light to spend X amount on a car that is needed, you know, I mean, big expenses like that usually aren't and shouldn't really be given in a complete surprise. Now, a fun getaway or something that costs, I don't know, like $1,000 or something that could be a really beautiful surprise, that's fine. But y'all not like a big purchase, like a $20,000 car, right? And I don't think this happens super often. I mean, I could be totally off base here. I don't think that people just randomly show up with like a $30,000 truck. I mean, it could happen. Absolutely. It's why it's on here. But I think, I mean, I know that we can get ourselves into financial issues because we nickel and dime ourselves to death with the Starbucks and the Target and the Amazon and all that kind of stuff. Typically, we don't get ourselves into crazy financial issues because of a big purchase like a car. Now, we do, but typically we think through bigger purchases, like a car or a house, right? Like that is front of mind. We are researching, we're kind of going shop to shop. Like that is a conscious purchase. So those aren't as dangerous, though they are because they're big purchases, but typically we're at least thinking about them. So, you know, if you've thought about it, you think you can afford it, whether you're right or wrong, at least you've thought about it. All the little stupid things, (laughs) like I said, the Target, the Starbucks, the Amazons, that kind of thing that we just, it's totally under our radar. To me, those are the more dangerous things. Those are where we get $5,000 credit cards and we don't know what the heck we just spent on, right? It's like we black out when we swipe our credit card. So unless you are like uber, uber millionaires, it is not a cool flex, you guys, to surprise your spouse with an expensive car. Now, something else that kind of came up when I read this one, you know, we talked about financial infidelity in week one, where we aren't maybe truthful about the price of what we pay for something. And I think that could probably be a bigger issue here with a car. Like if one spouse went to the dealership, the other one stayed back. And I don't know, maybe that spouse had like a $15,000 budget and ended up spending like 20 or 25,000 for whatever reason. And, you know, either lied about it, because maybe they're the one that handles the finances and the other person kind of wouldn't really know, um, you know, or whatever. And then ultimately, they find out later, or The person at the car dealership, you know, lied about the ability like, oh, there wasn't even there was no car for $15,000. Like there was only $20,000 cars. I had to go get that. Well, the truth is there probably was a $15,000 car, but you didn't really want that one. You wanted the $20,000 one. Anyways, you're going to deal with that consequence later, right? In, In one way or another, whether your spouse finds out that you lied about it or you're just having to deal with that extra debt, the consequences are going to come up later. So big impulse buys can cause issues. 
And again, the key word here is impulse, right? Not necessarily big buys. We talked about that. Like big buys, typically we think it through. Typically we think through cars. We think through houses. We think through, you know, a big vacation. But impulse, that is typically done through emotion or this need um, to fix something or feel better about something, right? So what is the fix for this? Number one, don't do it. <laughs> like I said, don't show up with a random $20,000 car to your spouse as a complete surprise. That's typically not going to go over well. But practically, so Justin and I will typically consult with one another if we are going to buy something that's over, I don't know, like $50 or $100, kind of depending on what it is. So neither of us would just go buy something for $200 and then check in later to see if it was okay. And this is less, you guys, about asking permission and more about just respecting the relationship that you are in and understanding that there is a threshold amount in any relationships that needs kind of approval from both, especially if it's not a necessity, right? Like if I go spend $200 on groceries, I don't really need to run that by him. <laughs> if I go spend $200 on shoes, probably something we should talk about. Or like if I want to buy a zoo pass for the kids and it ends up being, I don't know, $300, then I'll still talk to him about it. Like, hey, you know, we love to go to the zoo. Actually, I don't love to go to the zoo. But if I did, right? Hey, this is a zoo pass. I'm, I, well, I love taking the kids. We go all the time. Like it's $300. Do you think it's worth it? Yep, sure. Go for it. Okay, great. Right? It's not even a big deal. And it's, like I said, it's usually an easy yes because it's for our kids. It's within financial reason for where we are personally, but it's still just a way to have some transparency and open communication in your marriages. Because as we've talked about these past couple weeks, you guys, finances can be a slippery slope. So just talking about purchases is a smart thing to do just to keep both of you accountable and transparent. And again, you know, this is not about asking permission to do something. It is just about being open. And we probably all have a threshold in our marriage that we probably shouldn't spend above X amount. For some of you guys, if you're really, really tight with your finances, that could be $20. For someone, if you guys are like completely debt-free, out whatever, it could be $500. Like, it, it doesn't matter, but I guarantee there is a number or there at least should be a number. And listen, it's kind of unsaid. If I asked Justin or someone, one of you guys asked Justin and was like, okay, what what would you have to ask her for like amount wise before you spent it? He'd be like, I don't know. He'd probably say somewhere between 50 and $100, okay? And again, it would depend on what it meant or I mean what we were buying. Okay, so number that was number nine. Number 10, the 10th argument is spending too much on a wedding. Listen. Everyone's wedding budget is different. Some prefer small and private. Others want to be big and elaborate. And some have support and others really don't. And it doesn't really freaking matter what I personally think is an appropriate amount to spend. But just like they say, it is not about the how beautiful you can make your wedding day. It is about how beautiful you can make your marriage. And that applies here. It's not about how much you can spend to make everything seem perfect on your wedding day. Because a week later, you are going to go home from your honeymoon and deal with the reality of your finances together with no one else around dancing to shout or drinking and dancing to the cha-cha slide, right? Like they're gone and you two are left sitting at your kitchen table. And that can be a really beautiful moment, especially if you guys have been really open with each other and you haven't made decisions that you regret financially. So, you know, don't do something 
before you get married that is going to put a strain on your new marriage. And like I said at the beginning, you know, this could look different for everyone. I know people who have parents say, hey, I got $20,000 saved for you. You can use as much as you want for your wedding and then the rest you can have as a down payment for your first home. And then they've gotten carried away and spent dang near all of the $20,000 on the wedding. And, you know, a year later when they want the house, they look back and regret that decision because they're like, dang it, (laughs) I really want that $20,000 on a Um, you know, on a down payment for the house that we want, like that can cause a stressor. And so if you aren't married, here's just my side note, two cents for you. Take it or leave it. So Justin and I actually had over like 200 people at our wedding. I had the big ball gown and the whole nine. It was one of the funnest weddings I have ever been to to this day. And I'll just say that because it's mine. (laughs) I mean, y'all, we shut the place down dancing and whatever else. I think it had to do with me being 22 years old and still surrounded with college friends who could seriously party all night long. But we also did a ton, a ton, a ton of DIY for my wedding. My mom made the boutonnieres and the corsages for everyone. I actually ended up ordering my bouquet. My bridesmaids and I actually got together the day before the wedding and made like 250 cupcakes and iced them all together and made this beautiful cupcake tower and it was delicious cupcakes. (laughs) We made our own programs at home. I shopped my dress out of this clearance. Actually, I spent like 400 bucks on it or something. Um, I wanted chair covers, you guys, so bad for my wedding or for the reception, but it was going to be like $900 with that many people. And I always felt like... Um, chair covers just really tie the room together so beautifully and all the Pinterest pictures and whatever else. And the chairs that our, our venue had were like the maroon floral, like just not cute ones. (laughs) But Justin was like, seriously, no one will remember if we have freaking chair covers. And how about this? Like if we skip the thousand dollars on chair covers, then I'll take you to Niagara Falls later. And I was bummed because I was like, dang, I I was all caught up in the sight of this perfectly put together reception, but I decided not to do chair covers. And lo and behold, he ended up taking me to Niagara Falls about two years later. But here is my tip for what to spend money on for your wedding. And there's only three things. Not that you shouldn't spend money elsewhere, but I mean, like, if you're going to drop some cash, drop some cash in these three things. Number one, an open bar. Number two, a good DJ that knows what the heck they're doing. And number three, good food. Outside of that, y'all, it's okay to settle. (laughs) You know, make your own cupcakes and your own party favors and, you know, ditch the, the chair covers. And obviously your dress should be what you want. And I wanted to actually like walk into a bridal store and, um, you know, go straight to like designer stuff. But I'm like, you know what? Let me just check clearance first, because why not? I mean, if everything in there I hated, then fine, I can go somewhere else. But I actually ended up falling in love with it. And so I'm not saying you have to go to clearance with your dress, but you don't need to like walk in the door shredding your budget for $3,000 for a dress because they're going to take you straight to the most expensive dresses there. Okay, so shop around a little bit. Okay, on to the next argument. Number 11, not having premarital financial counseling. Is this a thing? I don't even know. I mean, obviously financial, or I mean, obviously premarital counseling is a thing, but is financial counseling, premarital counseling a thing? I don't know. (laughs) I know that finances were a topic of our premarital counseling, but we didn't have like a full-blown financial therapist uh, as a premarital counselor. 
as a separate thing. Either way, the point here is that honest financial conversations need to happen. Either, you know, cordially between the two of you, if you're really open and good with talking about money or with guidance from a licensed therapist, especially if you are coming into the marriage with a lot of debt or really coming from two totally different worlds. Like one of y'all were born with a silver spoon and the other one didn't even have a spoon, right? Like if you were coming from two totally different backgrounds, then, you know, there's going to be a lot of money mindset stuff that's going to play such a big role when you combine your financial life together. And if you're not aware of the strengths and the weaknesses of the other person, y'all, this can be a huge shock to the system. So just start your marriage off out on the right foot. And either you know that you're really good and open at talking about finances or seek some guidance from a professional to be able to kind of walk you through what to expect and how to handle finances once you get married. But you guys sitting down and being fully transparent with where you are in your with your debt before you say I do is so incredibly crucial. Like no one should drop an $80,000 in debt <laughs> bomb after marriage. I mean, you commit right, to richer or poorer, but that's with the assumption that they know as much as possible about you. There is no bait and switch here. That's not fair. Like they think that they know as much as possible before going into a lifelong covenant relationship with you. And sure, like things are going to come up unexpectedly or whatever. That's all part of the gig. But hiding financial situations and amounts going in, y'all, that is a quick way to jack up a marriage before it even starts. And I want to jump in here really quick before we wrap up with this last argument we tend to see in marriages, and I want to remind you of the financial help I provide to my community in case you are looking for um, some support. And again, if you need a financial therapist, that is not me, <laughs> not Stephanie Sims. However, I do help in other ways if that is something that you need. Number one, I have my podcast directory. All of this is going to be linked into the show notes. This is all free content and I actually have a finances tab there. And so you can see and listen to all of my financial stuff that I have for free. Um, number two, I have my budget workshop. I talked about that at the beginning. It is tomorrow night. Uh, today is the last day to sign up because there is a little bit of pre-work uh, and spots are limited because I want to keep it small just so that I have the ability to get around to everybody. Okay. And then number three, and actually that budget workshop is virtual, just FYI, in case that wasn't clear. I don't think I said that. Um, and then number three, I have my self-paced money mindset course entrusted with her finances. And it is over six hours of audio lessons and training where we really dig into your specific money story, your life in debt, and why it's actually comfortable for us to be there, what you owe your children financially, some passive income stuff, and then ultimately how to build wealth. And then lastly... I have my one-on-one 90-day budget coaching, and I have been fully booked, you guys, since September of 2020, but I actually have six spots opening up in the next 30 days, and this is my most hands-on work, and it is my most favorite thing. I could talk about it in my clients all day long. They are so, so amazing, and basically, I create a 90-day working budget, and we will work really, really closely together. I mean, you have unlimited access to me via Voxer, which is like a walkie-talkie app, and we work paycheck to paycheck for 90 straight days. And I will just walk you through each specific circumstance that comes your way. Okay. So those are the four ways that I can support you. If you don't think you need a therapist, but you still need some other level of support. 
So let's go ahead and wrap up with the 12th argument about money that happens a lot in marriage, and that's a loss of financial control. A loss of financial control. Or you guys tend to have like a yours versus mine mentality when it comes to money. So this would be something like, I'm going to kind of be stereotypical here, but you know, whatever. So this would be something like the husband works and makes quote unquote all the money and the wife stays home with the kids and doesn't really contribute financially. So she feels the need because her husband has made her feel the need or she's, you know, whatever. Either way, she feels the need to ask for money when she wants to, I don't know, go out with coffee with friends or she needs a new pair of shoes. This is aggravating to me. very much so. Um, This is actually one of the main reasons, if you listen back, I don't even know, some podcast episode, good Lord, um, where I talk about how I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, ever. And I remember sitting in bed when I was 17 years old, talking to Justin at like 1 a.m. on the phone. And he was just saying, we were like, you know, young, whatever. And he was saying, I just... I want to make enough money one day so that my wife is able to stay home with our kids if she wants to. And we had been dating for about a year. And I don't know, we thought we were going to get married. We ended up getting married. So I guess we were right. But we were still super young. And I remember laughing out loud and saying, what I would just, <laughs> just, just so you know, I would literally never be a stay at home mom. I would never do that. <laughs> and he's like, why? I'm like, well, because if something were to happen and we, were to get divorced, like I would need to be able to stand on my own two feet. Like I would need to have money. I would never do that. So that's not me. (laughs) Thank you for, you know, sharing what you wanted, but that's not going to be me just so you know. And he was baffled. He was like, what are, what are you talking about? Like divorce is not an option. I'm like, oh, it is an option. (laughs) It absolutely is an option. So actually have a divorce or a, a podcast episode on this podcast. It's called actually divorce is an option. And I talked through this whole thing. That's probably where that story is. Um, but anyways, I was, I was just scared of this. Not that I had ever seen it, to be honest. It's not like my parents ever acted like this or whatever. It's not that I had this thing, but I was so nervous that if I wasn't making my own money, I was going to get controlled somehow. I don't know. I'm jacked up. I don't think this anymore. I'm a stay-at-home mom now in a healthy relationship, but This screams marriage problem to me and not a money problem when you have this mine versus yours, right? Like to me, when I thought that stuff, that was a marriage issue in my head, not necessarily a money issue. And now that I've figured out that marriage doesn't have to be like that, I don't have that issue anymore. You know, when you get married, you become one, you become one team. And there is a difference, you know, we've been talking this entire time, there's a difference between someone being the driver of the financial plan, like we talked about, and someone being a controlling psychopath. (laughs) I wanted to use another word, but you might have babies around, so I'm not going to. So this is also different than when one spouse has to keep the money, quote unquote, safe because the other spouse isn't responsible and has some kind of spending addiction and would spend their rent money if you did not keep it from them, right? That's a whole nother issue we talked about last week. So hear me. If you are a stay-at-home mom 
and you do not bring in an income, you are still contributing and you are still contributing financially. There are so many things, you guys, we got out of debt on one income. Crazy. Like I was like, I thought we, our debt payoff plan was going to come to a screeching halt and it actually didn't because the amount of money we saved in childcare, food, clothes, gas, like lunches out, there's so much by you being home, right? That you are also contributing financially. It's just, you're almost like a financial def- defender <laughs> of the money that is coming in, if that makes sense. You know, and here's the truth. You could go back to work if you wanted. And a lot of people will say, well, if I went back to work, then I would just cancel out because of childcare. Okay, well, let your husband's paycheck pay for that childcare and you keep your income. Again, that's kind of this, that, that statement <laughs> is that mine versus yours. If I go back to work, then my income won't matter because my income is going to pay for the childcare he's still going to get all of his income. What? (laughs) And listen, obviously, typically in a healthy marriage, that conversation can and does happen. And they, you know, the wife will not go back or the husband will not go back because it really doesn't make sense because really childcare would cancel out their income. However, if you are in a situation where it is this very much a controlling atmosphere and it is truly this you versus him and because he brings in the income, he now has control over what and when you spend money, there's a bigger issue there than your income, okay? So if you find yourself in a situation where it is you versus him and you have to ask for money or vice versa, right? Like if you find yourself being controlling because you bring in the income, it is time to seek some financial therapy or a marriage counselor in general. Like I could not imagine having to ask Justin for money if I wanted to grab a coffee with a friend because I am a stay-at-home mom and I, well, my business brings in an income, but you know what I mean. You know, you're not in a parent-child relationship. You are not in a debt-debtor relationship. You are not in a transactional relationship. You are in a marriage. So this is never okay, you know? I mean, Justin will sometimes joke that he's my sugar daddy, (laughs) but it's all in good fun, you know? Um, So again, though, if someone has a spending addiction or something that lies under another context that we have talked about, then that's one thing, but that's not what we're talking about here. So here I would say counseling, but then also go back to what I've been saying in the beginning. Both people need to have a pulse on the finances. Both people need to see with their own eyeballs what is going on in the finances, in the statements, on the credit card statements, in savings, you know, whatever else. I can only imagine that there is something being hidden when the working or income generating spouse is leaving the other spouse on a like need to know basis. That would drive me crazy. And then ultimately, this is why combined bank accounts, if that's appropriate, again, we've talked about the nuances of that also, that is also really, really, really important. And budgets, budgets that are made to give each of you spending money to be able to spend without guilt or regret is so, so important. And that doesn't mean one of you guys giving the other one allowance to shut them up. It means you sit down as a team and you go over your financial goals. You have your screens up with your statements pulled out and it is a transparent thing. 
and you have this hard conversation. And it's a little messy and that's okay. And like I talked about, just because you argue about money doesn't mean you have a marriage problem. Money is emotional. There's a lot of crap that goes along with it. But learning who you are with money, learning who your spouse is with money, and then coming and working together one step at a time, that's where you start to create real change. Okay, so that is a wrap, you guys, on the series on the 12 arguments people have about money and marriage. And I hope that if you are seeing some of these issues come up repeatedly, that you found some ways or encouragement just to break through the cycle. And remember, you are both human. You are both human. Again, it is natural to argue about money some because it just touches every single piece of our life. So we just have to work on becoming 1% better every single day. And we can just really start to walk this unhealthy line if it's all left unchecked. And that can do some serious damage to our marriages. And the best time to start working through these issues is now. You know, we talked about this also. Before there is a hard line in the sand, before there is a divorce threatened, before there is a crisis, finances are not something that you can just sweep under the rug, but there is a lot of support out there from you. They're from, you know, financial therapy to free podcasts, to courses, to coaches, to friends, to your mentors, to your pastors, books, conferences. I mean, there is a ton of resources out there. And if focusing on financial growth is starting to seem like this is an obvious need (laughs) in your marriage, then I just really encourage you to reach out and find what resource and type or level of support that you need. And you guys, even if you aren't married, it is so good to learn about your financial life before entering into marriage, just in general, and to get yourself set up in the best possible financial situation before you walk down the aisle. And side note real quick. I'm working with a couple actually um, through my budget coaching. They are not married. Um, They are not engaged, but they have kind of blended their lives beautifully. Um, But they do want to get married at some point. And when I sat down with both of them, they both have separate bank accounts because they're just not at that point of, um, of combining them. And they were asking if they should all like um, the, the girl was asking, you know, should I, give him more of my money so we can start paying off some of his debt or how should that work? I'm like, no, no, no. Like you have your own stuff to take care of. He has his own stuff to take care of. And we're going to get you both situated before you walk down that aisle. Right. And they still support each other and split some things and whatever else, but she's working on herself and he is working on himself. And that is ultimately all that you can do in a marriage. You cannot control the other person. You can only control yourself. So that is working beautifully, and I hope that you guys really enjoyed this series. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I hope that you stay healthy, and I will talk to you all next week, and I look forward to walking with you to help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.